Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Dead House Gates, Volume 2 of the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson. Today we will be covering Book 1 of Dead House Gates, Raraku. Oh, man. Okay, so in my opinion, this is so much better than Gardens of the Moon already. I mean, I, I liked Gardens of the Moon just fine, uh, but just in this first book of this volume, there are so many terms and characters and locations that we've never seen. So I'm just going to grab that, put it over here. That is totally a thing in this book, but that doesn't make me love it any less. We got Mappo and Akarium, Coltane, Kalam and Fiddler, Crocus, Absalar. There's a rebellion brewing, multiple fights with monsters and demons and all the kinds of crazy stuff. Sea creatures. Yeah. And other wild scenes, like the very last scene of this book, which we definitely need to talk about. And even though I, have already read this book once. I forgot about the last scene of this book and I just, I couldn't believe it. And it's, it's really going to send us into the next book in this volume. We are really into the fun stuff now. This is, this is some peak Malazan, which is interesting because Dead House Gates is the second book in this series, but I've seen a lot of volume, people online please. say, excuse me, volume. I've seen a lot of opinions that Dead House Gates is easily one of the best books in this series. It's so good. It really is. Though it seems to kind of be all over the place and a little bit like sporadic, it's pretty it's actually pretty linear. Yeah, compared to Gardens of the Moon. Yeah, oh yeah, especially compared to Malzahn and compared to just the series overall. We've got like, yeah, a few different problems, but usually uh, throughout the course of this book, they kind of overlap. They all tie really nicely together. And it's really just like a not quite an A to B story, but almost. Part of it is an A to B, an A to B story. Yeah, multiple A to Bs. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be reading this book. I do remember throwing it against the wall the first time I read it, and I might do it again. At what point? I can't spoil it for anybody. Oh, sure. One of the things about this episode is that Chad and I both read this book. It's so complicated. There's so many things going on. We've actually forgotten quite a bit of it, so this is all very fresh for us. So there's going to be some stuff that. Chad and I are kind of speculating on because we just honestly don't know what the hell is going to happen next. Nah, it was 13 years ago. There is a part, though, at the end of this book that I do remember very clearly that I'm excited to talk about in three more episodes after this one. But for now, let's focus on this book. Let's focus on this recap. Raraku. For Raraku, Deadhouse Gates. Take it away, Chad. All right, let's do it. Deadhouse Gates begins in Unta the capital of the Malazan Empire. Empress Lacine is culling Unta's nobility, arresting nobles and holding mock trials. Felicin Perrin, Ganoa's Perrin's sister, is arrested and chained to a line of other nobles and criminals. While chained up, she meets Heboric Lighttouch, a priest of the god Fenner, and historian who has slighted Lacine. And she meets Bowden, a brutish man with a nasty temper. A man covered in flies approaches the trio and speaks with Heboric before disappearing into thin air. Felicin and Ganoas' sister, Tavor, arrives, the new adjunct to the Empress after the death of Adjunct Lorne. She is escorted by Red Swords, a fanatical company of Seven Cities natives who have vowed absolute loyalty to the Malazan Empire. Tavor rides past, barely paying her imprisoned sister a glance. The prisoners are marched through the streets toward waiting slave ships, which are set to take them to the Otatoral Mines off the coast of Seven Cities. Chained together, the prisoners and nobles are rushed past screaming peasants throwing bricks and rocks. 
Bowden saws an elderly noblewoman's head off with his chains in an attempt to appease the mob. 300 prisoners were marched through the city in chains, but less than a hundred make it to the docks. Now in the Panpotsan Odhan, on the subcontinent of Seven Cities, we meet Ikarium, a half-blood Jagut, and his traveling companion Mapo, a Trell. As the two journey through the wastes, they see an Aptorian demon in the distance and wander at its origin. They stop at one of the many ruins dotted along the desert and find a marble column with claw marks at its base. They surmise the marks came from the Diver's form of someone named Grillin. There seem to be many soul taken in Divers searching for mythical gates which offer a path to ascendancy. Soon after, Mapo and Dakarium are set upon by six wolves, the Diver's form of Rilindaris, who speaks directly into the duo's minds. The Divers seems intent on attacking, but hesitates when Mapo and Dakarium identify themselves. We find out that the Divers is hunting the Aptorian demon, whom Mapo warns against hunting, as it may be Shaik. Rilindaris departs. We then shift to the Imperial Harbor of Hisar. Duker, the Imperial Historian, and Malik Rell, advisor to High Fist Pormqual, observe as Wiccan soldiers arrive at the harbor. A tense atmosphere develops between the Wiccan soldiers and the Hisar guard. A mage named Kulp arrives alongside Duker and Malik to watch as the soldiers and guardsmen nearly come to blows. Before any fighting starts, the Wiccan war leader Coltane, newly promoted Fist of the Malazan Empire's 7th Army, intervenes and quickly organizes his troops into silent formation. Fiddler, Kalam, Crocus, and Absalar, following the events of Gardens of the Moon, land on Erliton. Their intent is to return Absalar to her home village in Quantali, but Kalam and Fiddler have a larger plan. After a lengthy journey by sea, the group is set upon by a Dinrabi soul taken, a giant centipede-like sea monster who tells them all telepathically it is going to kill them in their little boat. Fiddler shoots an explosive from his crossbow, which destroys the Dinrabi's face. Fiddler and Kalam eventually reveal that Kalam is planning on assassinating Empress Lassine. They intend on using the mounting rebellion in Seven Cities as cover for Kalam to make his way to her. After wandering through his sar and seeing signs of the rebellion near its boiling point, Duker watches a boy divining the conflict to come, saying, Salty waves shall wash the shores of Raraku. The holy desert remembers its past. The boy dies, and Duker leaves to meet with Coltane, Cup, Malakrel, and a Wiccan named Bolt. We learn about the violent past shared between Coltane, Duker, Dujek One-Arm, and Bolt. The group discusses Lassine's crucifixion of the Wiccan warlocks, which doesn't seem to phase the two Wiccans at the meeting. A boy enters, introduced as Sormo Inath, who saw the same divination as Duker. The boy carries the soul of a Wiccan warlock and accuses Malagrel of hidden motives. Coltane doesn't seem to care about Malagrel's obvious sketchiness. Malagrel gives Coltane new orders from High Fist Pormqual. He is to march 400 leagues through the desert to Arin, so Pormqual can test out the 7th Army's new troops. Bolt scoffs at this idea, saying Malik Rell isn't part of the command structure and tells him to leave. Coltane asks Duker to spy on Rell for him, but reconsiders when Duker worries he'll be killed. He then takes Duker onto his staff. 
After the council, Culp confirms to Ducker that Sormo is indeed the powerful warlock he claims to be. Ducker asks for Culp's help to rescue Heberich from the Ototaral mines. In Erlitan, Fiddler saves two young girls from a pimp and escorts them back to their home. He is invited to share a meal with the girl's grandfather. The grandfather is revealed to be a Tano spirit walker. He identifies Fiddler as a bridge burner and warns him of a convergence of divers and soul taken in what is called the Path of Hands. Once it is clear that Fiddler will not be deterred by the danger, the spirit walker gifts him a conch shell invested with songs of Raku's past as well as the spirit walker's own song of power. The Tano reveals himself to be Kimlock. Fiddler recalls that the last Malazan to talk to the spirit walker was Dujek One-Arm, 11 years previous during the negotiations of the surrendering of Karakarang to the Malazan forces. Kimlock touches Fiddler on the shoulder as they say goodbye. Fiddler neglects to mention his meeting with Kimlock to Kalam, fully aware that doing so would lead to Kimlock's death at Kalam's hands. Later that night, Kalam visits a man named Mebra, who owes a debt to the bridge burners. He demands to know the secret symbols he will need for safe passage across the Odin. Mebra reluctantly tells him the only symbol he needs is that of the whirlwind. Kalam notices Mebra has the Holy Book of Drizna, which is destined to spark the rebellion once in possession of the Shaikh. Kalam says he will take the book to Shaikh and Raraku in order to guarantee his own safe passage. Once Kalam departs, Commander Tane Baralta of the Red Blades emerge to congratulate Mebra on fooling Kalam, and he says the Red Blades will follow him all the way to Shaikh and destroy her. Mebra suggests that they let Kalam live so he can be tortured. Allowing the extraction of information which may lead to his true intentions, Mebra suspects that Kalam, a master assassin, is headed towards Mala's city. Mapo and Ikarium stand at the bottom of a cliff between Raraku and Panpatsun Odhan, having located a seemingly unreachable tower in a fissure. They have been attacked by divers in the form of a pack of leopards, who realized too late their mistake, Ikarium having killed them all. Mapo worried that Ikarium may have gone too far, but was relieved when Ikarium stopped keening and moved on. Eventually, a man riding a mule approaches along the cliff and claims he has been expecting them. He then falls off his mule, which disappears into a cave. A servant appears, carrying wine, and reveals that the man is Iskarl Pust, High Priest of Shadow. They wait for a way to ascend to the tower, which they learn is called Tessim, previously a temple of the Queen of Dreams. Many Bokarala gradually appear, and one of them lets down a rope from a window of the tower. The servant climbs up before pulling up Iskarl Pust after him. Before the traveling pair make their way up, Mapo notes that Pust is extremely powerful and that they should be careful. Ikarium asks why he has blood on his sword, unable to recall the fight with the leopards. Mapo lies and says they were attacked in the night and he borrowed Ikarium's sword while he slept. In Skullcup, the Ototaral Mines, Thelison has been sleeping with Beneth, crime lord and leader of the slaves, in order to procure better supplies and labor for herself, Bowden, and Haboric. Haboric in particular has been worked vigorously, dragging carts full of rocks from the deep mines, a job normally done by oxen. As Beneth and Felicin walk through Skullcup, they meet a camp guard named Pella, who asks Beneth to talk to Captain Sawark about the Dosi guards. 
He believes they will rebel if the mainland rises. Beneth asks Felicen to move in with him, but she rejects the idea. She is resolved to stay alive for the day she can face Tavor, her sister, and kill her. When Felicen returns home, she bickers with Haborik, who curses Tavor for turning her teenage sister into an alcoholic whore. They both regret in silence the unintended cruelty with which they speak to one another. Once both are in bed, Bowden enters and has a whispered conversation with Haborik. Felicen is certain they are planning something. She becomes angry at what she believes to be her exclusion, thinking they don't trust her to keep any secrets. Kulp informs Duker that he has sent instructions to Haborik on the Otatoral Island, which will help him to escape. He explains how Coltane has been drilling the Seventh Army intensively, training them in city fighting, controlling mobs and putting down insurrections. Duker says that the harder they push the army, the better prepared they will be when the worst happens. Fiddler and Crocus discuss Kalam's insistence on taking the Book of Drizna to Shaik. Fiddler explains that it will serve the purpose of putting more cracks in Lassine's control, and that the rest of them will be finding a new path to Unta that has never been before used. Kalam will travel overland, and then my boat from Eren. Crocus complains about their using Absalar in the event that Kalam fails to assassinate the Empress. Since she was once possessed by the Rope, patron of all assassins, and still has some of his skills, the pair believes she can be useful in Lassine's elimination. Fiddler asks why Moby, Mammoth's familiar, is still alive since Mammoth died, as well as why it is traveling with them across half a continent. Crocus has no answer. The next day, they leave Erliten. Crocus and Absalar are disguised as pilgrims while Fiddler remains a Grawl, acting as their guardian. As they leave the city, a troop of red blades stop them and ask if they saw a man of Kalam's description leaving. Crocus is worried that they will catch him, but Fiddler ignores his concerns and moves off down the road. He wants to travel quickly in order to reach Gadanisbad, on the edge of the Ponpatsun Oten, within a week's time. He is concerned about Kimlock's conch shell, wondering if carrying an object of such power will be more trouble than it's worth. Crocus notices that Moby has left. He feels depressed because he felt connected to his Uncle Mammoth through Moby. Iskarl Pust is hunting spiders in his tower. Mappo watches, amused, while he recovers from the wounds inflicted by the Daivers. He finds Ikarium in the library, which also serves as a kitchen. Ikarium is astonished at Iskarl's collection of books, which the priest himself had disparaged from the Great Library of the World, noting that some of them are likely a thousand years old, if not more, and must have cost a fortune. He also points out that many of the tomes are on entirely pointless subjects. Mappo is reminded by the script of something in his own past, a meeting with mysterious figures who wrote in the same language contained in these books. Ikaria mentions a twisted staff embossed onto each book's spine, and Mappo hastily changes the subject. Ikarium insists that the books prove that there was once a thriving and very rich civilization, maybe even the very first human one, in Seven Cities. He is intrigued, the idea reminding him of his own obsession with time, and of the mechanisms he creates to measure and observe it. Mappo says he is uncomfortable staying at the Temple of Shadow and fears getting trapped in some scheme of Pust, who is failing to fool Mappo with his harmless act. Ikarium says he feels the need to stay at Tessim a while longer and asks Mappo that he be patient with him. 
Mappo revisits the memory of his meeting the Nameless Ones, specifically a moment when they asked him how patient he could be. He shakes off the thoughts and they set off to explore the temple. In the deep mine at Skullcup, there has been a massive cave-in, killing all who work there. Felicin is addicted to Durhang and wine and finds herself going to Beneth more and more. Hela asks if she relayed his message to Heberic. She doesn't remember him. He is shocked at how she looks a decade older than their last meeting just two weeks ago. She assumes he wants to sleep with her, when his only concern is the whereabouts of Heboric. Later, Beneth takes her to meet Captain Sawark. Beneth offers Felicin to Sawark in return for the answer to one question. He wants to know why Bowden was arrested earlier in the morning. Sawark claims that Bowden was caught after curfew, but escaped until one of the guards recognized him in the morning and arrested him. Sawark says Beneth will have to live with the loss of a worker, refusing to release Bowden. When he looks properly at Felicin, he goes white and tells Beneth to take her away. Outside, Beneth asks Felicin if she is noble-born. She lies, claiming to be a foundling who was abandoned at the Monastery of Fenner on Malaz Island. Beneth doesn't believe her and asks several questions about the geography of the area to see if she is lying or not. Felicin shouts at him, asking him why he interrogates her so. Beneth loses his temper and viciously beats her. Heberic finds her some time later and tries to help her back to their hut. He compliments her on making up the story about being a foundling, which he confirmed when asked about it by Beneth. He also explains that Bowden has escaped from jail, killing three guards and setting fire to several buildings to cover his escape. Guards are searching for him, but no one has yet found him. Kalam is riding along the coastal road near the Astara Hills when a sandstorm starts up. He makes his way through the storm until he reaches Ladro Keep, a Malazan outpost he had been trying to avoid. Inside the common room, taking shelter from the storm, are four guardsmen and a merchant and his wife. The sergeant is suspicious and asks him why he rides alone. Kalam takes him aside and shows him a pendant that the sergeant recognizes as that of a clawmaster, thereby ending all questions instantly. The merchant wife turns out to be a reader of the Deck of Dragons and offers to read Kalam's future, which he rebuffs with contempt. Two more travelers enter the keep, a Pardu woman and an Erlai man, both of which fell victim to the Chigger Fleas. The merchant's wife starts reading the deck, but Kalam soon calls her out as a fake. She throws the deck at Kalam and the cards form a pattern as they bounce off. Assassin of Shadow, representing Kalam in this instance, is surrounded by all six members of the House of Death. Kalam leaves after the storm, and Lestara Yil and her accompanying soldiers kill all the people in the keep, believing them to be traitors to the Empress for assisting Kalam. They set out after him. Mappo and Ikarium explore the crypt of the temple. There are many paintings on the wall depicting a dark forest clearing with hints of massive beasts in the background as well as patterns on the floor. Although the graves of the priestesses have come to obscure most of it, there is a doorway leading off the main chamber, barricaded with heavy granite blocks, which they slowly remove and venture forth. The Bokarala that have been watching them clear the door go silent and refuse to follow when Mappo and Akarium go through. A large hallway lays ahead of them, colonnaded with what they recognize as trunks of cedar trees. Ikarium says they were brought in by a warrant, which has the sense of Kerald Gelane, Elder Dark. 
Mappa is confused by this as there is no mention of any Tistiandi having ever been in Seven Cities. They eventually reach a large octagonal chamber. They realize they've found the Path of Hands, the gate. They decide to consult Pust, who tells them nothing is as it seems, and wonders as to why the two of them haven't descended. He tells a story of his staring contest with a Bokharal and mentions that one who does not waver from his cause is dull-witted. Mappo pushes Pust to reveal more, but the priest simply states that he and Ikarium know nothing of Shadowthrone's plans and charges them with the task of finding his broom. Much to Mappo's surprise, Ikarium accepts the quest. In his Sar's surroundings, Dukur, Kolp, and Bolt attend Sormo Enath's ritual in a dead oasis. Sormo explains he will momentarily open himself to the sacred aspect of the oasis. Kolp is concerned, believing the oasis is linked to the Seven. Sormo is convinced that it is linked to Telan. The warlock draws his power and the air grows alive with icy winds. A bestial stench fills Dukur's nostrils. A cloud of wasps approach Bolt and stings him, rendering him incapacitated. The group understands that they have stumbled into the middle of a violent conflict between De Ivers and Soltaken. Rats, fire ants, and snakes are attacking each other and the group. Culp unleashes his warren to defend them. An enormous demon appears and warns them, then attacks the Soltaken and De Ivers, trying to give time for the group to escape. Culp punches the warlock in the face. Sormo then wakes up and they find themselves back in the oasis. The warlock explains that something unexpected is happening, a convergence, the path of hands, the gate of the Soltaken and the Deivers. The warren where they found themselves was indeed Talan. They conclude that either there is a link between Elder Talan and shapeshifting, or the Deivers and Soltaken are simply passing through Talan. Fiddler, Crocus, and Absalar arrive in Gadanisbad to find a renegade army outside the city's walls. They are aware that they can't avoid the renegades and elect to make use of their disguises. Fiddler, as a Grawl tribesman, sworn to protect Crocus and Absalar, a newly wedded young couple. The captain of the guards tells them that the city is closed and spits between the hooves of Fiddler's horse. True to its growl origins, the horse violently bites the guardsman, tearing half of his face off. Fiddler hides his shock by sticking to his disguise and cursing as a growl would. The Iraq warriors that are stationed with the guards offer to buy Fiddler's horse, who insults them, but at the same time offers them his beer, thus acknowledging them as his equals, and asks to camp with them for the night. In the camp, the Araks explain that the city of Gadanazbad is closed because it has been liberated from the Mezla and there is going to be a cleansing. All the Malazan nobles and merchants are going to be executed during the night. While they are alone, Crocus and Absalar express their worries that they might be found out if they stay with the Araks for the night. Fiddler suggests that they enter Gadanazbad immediately, with the excuse of wanting to witness the flaying alive of the Malazans as a blessing to the young couple. The Araks warn of the arrival of a Grawl clan. Fiddler tells them that he cannot meet the other Grawls because he is an outcast, and the young couple wants to enter the city without delay. The Araks then change their attitude and want to hold Fiddler for the clan's vengeance. But Absalar saves the situation by announcing that she is with child and threatens to curse them all if they don't allow them to depart. Fiddler's tale that he is an outcast provides them with another problem, as the Grau clan will surely pursue them. In Gadanisbad, they find desolation everywhere. Smoke, 
screams, broken toys on the streets. They see a naked and bruised young girl running and hiding. They save her from her rapists by killing all six of them. They then arrive in the city's central square, where a massacre has taken place. Among the hundreds of bodies are mainly old men, old women, and children, all Malazan. Crocus asks if the Malazans did the same to the locals during their conquest. Absalar vehemently defends the Malazan Empire, arguing that the Emperor warred against armies, not civilians, and that the Aran massacre was Surly's responsibility, not Kalanved's. Fiddler and Crocus are astonished by this outburst, and they have a moment of clarity, in which they realize that the rope, Cotillion, is really Dancer, and that Shadowthrone is Kalanved. They were not murdered by Lassine, as everybody believes, but escaped through ascendancy in the Warren of Shadow. They now seek vengeance against Lassine, and it was to this end that Cotillion Dancer possessed Absalar when she was still a fisher's daughter. Fiddler curses himself for not putting it together with the names and the appearance of a new house, Shadow, right after their deaths. He angrily asks why Dancer didn't tell anyone, claiming they were his friends. Absalar says Dancer trusted only two people, Kalanved and Dasem, and that Cotillion trusts nobody, including Shadowthrone. Absalar confirms all this. They finally arrive to the South Gate and ride out of Gedanisbad. Crocus's familiar, Moby, rejoins them outside the city, visibly hurt and bleeding. They hear the sounds of pursuit from the Grawl clan and decide to ride hard for the next village, New Valar. Kalam manages to bring the Book of the Apocalypse to Ruraku. He meets Shaikh's bodyguards, a seven-foot-tall Toblakai with a tattooed face, and Leoman captain of Shaikh's bodyguards. Shaikh appears, asking Kalam to give the book to her. She is a small, honey-skinned woman, radiating power. Kalam delivers the apocalypse to her. She asks him to join her soldiers, but he refuses, saying that his destiny lies elsewhere. She offers him an Aptorian demon as an escort on his journey through the desert. Kalam departs in the company of the demon and reflects on these recent events and his conflicting loyalties. As a child of the desert, he has started the rebellion against the Empire, and now seeks to kill Lassine to preserve the Empire so it can put down the rebellion. He wonders how many deaths he will be responsible for as a result of his actions. Shaikh sits cross-legged, flanked by her two bodyguards, just before dawn. As the first rays of light touch her, she opens the holy book. Suddenly, a quarrel hits her in the head, crushing her skull. The Red Blades attack the two bodyguards, but Leomin and Toblakai are too strong. Since Shaikh is already dead, Tanei Baralta recalls his troops. Luckily, the bodyguards don't pursue them. The Red Blades retreat to a small canyon where Tanei Baralta compliments Lestara Yil on her shot, which killed Shaikh, and orders her to regain Kalam's trail. Lestara is badly hurt, but she follows the orders. Tanei Baralta and his surviving Red Blades ride to Penpotsum. Leoman delicately rolls Shaikh's body in a blanket and rewraps the book in a cloth. The two bodyguards are lost. Shaikh opened the book of the apocalypse at dawn, as said in the prophecy, but it appears to them that nothing has happened, with the exception of her assassination. They remember Shaikh's words. At dawn, I shall open the book, and the whirlwind shall rise, and I shall emerge from it, renewed. They decide to wait. At dawn I shall open the book, and the whirlwinds shall rise, and I shall emerge from it renewed. Did this renewed. shike person know that she was going to get a crossbow bolt through the head? Because 
But kind of sounds like she figured that that might happen. I don't know. I don't Renewed, know. huh? Like, I don't hmm. think she fully expected crossbow to like a headshot. Maybe not a crossbow. Yeah. Nobody expects a crossbow. Yeah, yeah. From out of nowhere. I don't know if she expected to die. I know she expected to be like renewed, though. I think uh if we could have had like interviewed her after the event she probably would have been like man i was a little upset with how renewal decided to like take form you know like a painful bolt to the dome and her bodyguards certainly were surprised i love how it's like Caught very you know, much like, off guard i'm yeah. captain of the bodyguards it's like it seems like you're the only bodyguard my man like <laughs> Also, it's interesting, you know, this this um this guy was really presented as like such a badass and it's like I mean obviously he can't like stop a crossbow bolt in midair but I don't know. They they really they got her. They got her good. <laughs> they got, I I forgot about that part, man. Like I was just like, "Oh, totally. I forgot that happens." And and it's like the last part of the chapter is just a storm was coming or something like that and it's just totally. like, "Oh my god." <laughs> I mean, the storm is like is that of natural origin cuz it's supposed to release the whirlwind, sure. right? And it seems yeah, like a whirlwindy whirl. type storm is coming. So it's like I guess there's always uh, whirlwindy type storms. In I the know pen, it's the on desert. Those, so. On that note, do you think that the whirlwind was released? Do you think that the opening of the book was successful? Perhaps <sighs> is a better question. Kind of like what I said uh, earlier in this episode. I really am having a hard time remembering exactly what happens uh, after this. So this is this really is just not pure speculation, but speculation. I don't. I I think that yeah, it's sort of. The rebellion is is happening. I think that there's like, I, from what I remember, I'm pretty sure something weird happens in the camp that Felicin is at. And like, oh, totally. Because there were like these rumblings of like, oh, if if there's a rebellion on the mainland, then we're gonna have one here too. And then, then they're like, ah, no, whatever. Yes. Mainland's the mainland. We're on Autotoral Island, man. Nothing bad happens here. Autotoral Island. <laughs> I think that's something like that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see in the in the second book. The, isn't the second book called Whirlwind? I believe so. Let me confirm that. <laughs> I got the book set right now next to me because uh, if it is then uh, i think we might have yeah we have a whirlwind, on whirlwind. Our yeah it's, it's yeah, raku so. which is what we're covering today then whirlwind for the next episode then chain of dogs a money Oof. one and then dead house yeah. gates let's go all the way back to the prologue let's do it because uh, that prologue rough. was uh, wow though steven erickson says like i don't write grimdark i'm not a grimdark writer and then like the next <laughs> minute and i know that this that grimdark isn't just like dark things happening you know no, it's like it's, it's a whole other thing yeah, yeah there's a whole you know whole thing but still it seems pretty grimdark both pretty by grim what and people pretty think dark. it is and by both what people <laughs> don't think it is like in all definitions there are parts of this book that are extremely grimdarky and that was definitely one of them yeah, I mean, uh, the ritual where you're putting the blood of uh, executed criminals on your body and attracting flies so you're a big walking fly guy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty That's pretty gnarly. Like this, this, pretty and then gnarly. it disappears into thin air, which is... That was, that was, so you that think was it was crazy. like, I mean, like itself? So uh, that was like really weird, obviously. But then the rest of the prologue is really brutal too. And then... This this Baden guy, dude, chained to the throat, saws someone's head off yeah. with a chain. It, a it's funny because like the whole the whole crowd is just like, whoa, whoa, what is going on right now? They were just murdering. They murdered two hundred people, which leads me to my first question, though. So in the prologue, it seems to me kind of strange that you know these these prisoners are going are being shipped off. They're slaves. They're being shipped off to the Otatoro mines. They seem like they're they'd be valuable. Right. But like two thirds of them, like 200 people out of 300 people are killed by this mob was, was something I'm not really super clear about. Was this something that Tavor allowed or was the mob just that incensed by like it, it, it's like almost in like a roundabout way. Lassine 
riled everybody up to this point. You know what I mean? Oh, like, for it, sure. It, like, so she was like I don't, stoking the bloodlust. So I think what I think it's like a tradition. I could be wrong on this, but I think much like isn't there in Game of Thrones where it's like if you do something wrong, there's like the walk of shame where yeah. all the peasants get to like throw fruit at you and stuff and get yelled while you're is like. Is that really what this was, or was it just like a circumstance? No, I think like this it, is that. I think that they're like shamed, and so they got to do the, like the basically the the Mala's Empire's walk of shame equivalent, where you maybe. start from the top and you walk all the way down to the slave ship and like. Yeah. Whoever makes it, makes it. And I think it's a way of like allowing the peasants to like get their bloodlust out, like sure. get their yeah. own revenge so they feel pretty good about it. But man, it really seems that like, especially in fantasy books, but also in like our own past that the the peasantry is pretty quick to just like revel in blood killing, especially of like women and children and like... Yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty brutal to to read that. That was that was hard to read. Bowden, um, he only kind of won up the peasants by being like, "You want blood? Let me show yeah, you blood." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh wow!" And then he kind of like got the walk on. You know? <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Took yeah. a dull chain and sawed someone's head off with it. And Felicin is such a compelling character. I Very really like Felicin a lot. There's that really quick scene there and just in the prologue where like her sister Tavor like kind of notices her but doesn't say anything. Man. And this is all Tavor's fault and she sold out her whole family. Because like their parents died mysteriously. Do, do you know if their parents died? Sorry to interrupt you. I thought like didn't didn't like their mom die or something? And like yeah. the dad is still I can't remember exactly what's going on with their parents, but uh Ganoes Perrin uh, from Gardens of the Moon, if you'll remember, according to Tavor and Felicin and the rest of the Perrin family, and maybe even Lassine, is just he just disappeared. Like there's there's no confirmation that he's dead there's no body or anything yeah he's outcast yeah uh, he is he has been disappeared i would he argue he has been disappeared <laughs> yes well said yeah yeah felicin uh, can you imagine like see like being oh. in this situation like chained up to all these criminals and like nobility that's been called a uh, screaming mob this guy with a fly suit on who disappears into thin air the slave ships waiting for you and your sister rides by on a horse and it's pretty much all her fault. Like, that's why you're there. Oh, 100%. Man, like, that is so brutal. It seems like her sister kind of, like, like created the situation, like, sold out the rest of her family so she could rise in power. Like, all for greed yeah. and probably all because, like, Felicin was the pretty one, right? Because Devor was, like, is described as not being attractive and Felicin yeah. was definitely the pretty one. And so it seems like there's some, like, hatred going on and like the one time we see the family and get to know a little bit of the, the dynamic Genois family dynamic was when Perrin like goes back and visits the family castle or whatever he doesn't he does see Felicin who like hugs him and they're like she's like stoked to see him but before that he meets up with Tavor and he, Tavor says something and she's really standoffish yeah, yeah she's, she's like welcome home like dirt bag and then says something about her sister never being able to like live in reality or something you know yeah what I was wondering is like is Tavor was she already in a position of power before this or has she kind of like petitioned for the position to the empress you know what i mean like i'm not really clear on that i don't know exactly but i mean it seems like you can't go from like zero to like now she's taking over lauren's position so i i would imagine this is just me kind of shooting from the hip i think that she was kind of like known she was a known entity and had to be in some position of power and then when lauren died well the parents are already nobility so, yeah totally yeah, yeah. and then when like lauren died she kind of saw like okay there's a power vacuum uh last sure. needs like a right hand uh, woman and so she jumped to the position i think uh, another thing that i just want to kind of shout out real quick is very quickly in this book we have uh the the i, I call them divers but i know it's like di divers or whatever i always say divers because i don't know what to do with that apostrophe uh, man like what the <laughs> i just ignore the apostrophe i just call them divers but it's probably smart 
In the very first part of, of this book, we've got this, this super awesome prologue, and then we go straight into Mappo and Akarium. Don't really know much about them, but like we're so drawn to these characters because they're they're moving forward. There's a, there's a lot of momentum to both of their personalities and what they're physically doing. Uh, their relationship to each other is very mysterious. Uh, we heard about Akarium a little bit in Gardens of the Moon. I was going to say, do you yeah, remember the obsessed, reference? Yeah, it's the, it's the clock that he built yeah. for... Uh, for Darugistan. For Darugistan, uh -huh. And Akarium's like obsessed with time, but there's like some weird stuff going on here. And then when the divers show up, these six wolves that show up. So cool. Like they introduce themselves to this divers and then the, the divers is like, peace, I'm out of here. I didn't I know who you guys wanna... were. All right, I'll let you guys keep doing your thing. Sorry. <laughs> Which is, it, it really <laughs> endears you so much sorry, to them. Super sorry. And then you get another chapter with, which is like, you know, you, you get Duiker and, and Malik and, and Culp and stuff. And like Duiker? That. Is that how you say that? Because I've been saying Ducker and that sounds kind of lame. Okay, it's interesting because I've heard that the way to pronounce I like it. Duiker. So there's, I say Duiker. That's cool. But Erickson says Duker the way that you say it. Uh, Duker is like a poop. Like I just duked. You know, it's kind of uh, <laughs> The audiobook that I was listening to, they say Diker. Oh, I don't like that at all. So they ignore they ignore the U. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I think um, yours is the coolest sounding, which is my I think Duiker sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. Duiker, um, yeah. Um, but anyway, you get like this kind of weird scene with like the the Duiker Malik Rel, whatever that guy's name is, like the Malik Rel, the, yeah. the yeah, um, and Culp, that conversation is like really confusing for a little bit there. Like it's not super confusing, but there's definitely some kind of like, wait, what the hell is what going on here? And then like, and, and then Coltane shows up, and we'll talk about Coltane here soon. But so that, like that chapter is like a little weird, but kind of cool also. But then we get Fiddler, Kalam, Absalar, and Crocus in this little boat, so dinging it up, and they're in this little boat, and then a giant like centipede sea monster attacks them God, and not that. only not only does it attack them it communicates with them yeah. telepathically in all their brains and says oh i'm not going to d disrespect you by eating you but i'm totally gonna kill uh, all of you oh, well that and gives then, me solace and then fiddler blows his head up with a explosive crossbow bolt and that's when you know this is a much more focused in my opinion book this is a much more exciting book than gardens of the moon this feels like more of a fantasy book yeah there's so much there's so many more fantastical elements which is saying a lot because gardens of the moon has a ton of fantastic i mean the first book of gardens of the moon pale is an amazing chapter yeah it's really really good but we are dancing around just like a little too much for my taste totally the last 30 pages or so is pretty fantasy -y, though with all it's, the dragons it, it the is demons very and the, yeah, yeah. the dragons and the demons and stuff but yeah i just uh i wanted to shout out that like putting, you know, like that the prologue, the way that it was written is really compelling. We've got these characters that we're already familiar with, Callum, Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus, and then them being set upon by, oh, I can't, I can't forget the, uh, the, the, the Boca Corral thing, uh, the monkey thing that's with them too. Oh, should, right, right. What's his Moby. name? Starts with an M. Moby. Moby. I love Moby. I picture the singer Moby whenever I think of that. But anyway, that, that scene of, of this chitinous, centipede sea monster bearing down on them and then getting its head exploded like that by fiddler it's just so epic like it was so awesome does it live uh, i don't think so i think it's dead like okay i didn't really i didn't really like, know because he like yeah. got definitely like in his mouth he ate a moranth musician for sure but like i don't know if that oh, was yeah. like a dead thing or if he was just like all right i'll swim for warmer <laughs> oh, waters 
fiddler dude just like keeping it together and in the boat while like i he's just like well i've got just the thing for that i'll just blow his head up with his crossbow you gotta love when like (laughs) there's so much power at play we talked a little bit about this i think in our third episode about the third book of gardens of the moon about how it would really be awful to be a regular guy when you have people like anamander rake and uh these hounds of shadow and like there's forces of great power just walking around but as we see at the end of Gardens of the Moon and in this book with Fiddler and the sea monster, because how does the Jagut eventually goes down? He, he doesn't get taken down completely, but a big step in him going down was Fiddler shooting him with a Moranth musician like to the face point blank range. Was it Fiddler or Hedge? I think it was Fiddler. I think it was Fiddler. I, I think it was wrong. too. Yeah, it could be wrong. And one of the two takes a Moranth. So it's like nice that some of those that are like, that should be the least powerful still managed to have the most effect on some of the biggest baddies that this book has to throw at us, such as the sea monster, which I loved and have a question on if you don't mind. Sure. So two part question here. One was the sea monster. Do you think a soul taken and divers and two, what are the difference between a soul taken and a divers? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I know this one. Um, I don't, I think that the throw his the... hand in hand, you know, the, the sea monster was called a Denrabi. I don't think that that was a soul taken. I think that was just a sentient telepathic sea monster centipede thing. Got I it. could be okay. wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure sh- it might be a soul taken, but I, I don't think it is. I think it's just a sea monster. I just thought because it was um, telepathic. I could, I, could, I, could, I could definitely be wrong about that. I don't think it's a divers, though, because I'm pretty sure a soul taken is like is like one consciousness that's able to shift into one other one. And then... A divers is one consciousness that can shift into many different things. Oh, okay. So divers are more powerful, maybe like the next leveled up version. I don't know if it's more powerful. I mean, I guess you would be more powerful. You're able to like shift one into jaguar more, better, maybe than, not better than ten jaguars, right? Right, but like, but like ten flies is not as powerful as one jaguar, though. Yeah, straight. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well said. Yeah, but like, uh, but I, I, so the den Robbie could be a soul taken. I don't think it is. I think it's very, it's very tempting for me to say it's a soul taken because we just watched a a scene where there were telepathic communications with divers, which yeah. are like similar to soul taken. So I can see, but I don't think it is, uh, but maybe okay. it is. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. If we're wrong on that, let us know in the discord. Yeah. It's really, it was really amazing. I kind of wanted to shift uh, over uh, just a little bit. What did you think about the conversation with, with Duiker and Coltane and Sormo and Bulked and Colton and, and, and those guys in like the tent? You know, it's like the council. It's like the first council totally. that they have. I think that was like really important, but also I was like pretty bored during. A, I mean, not yeah. bored. It was just it was a it was a ton of information being kind of like shoved at me. But I think the thrust of it, if you could kind of like confirm this for me sure. and for our listeners here, it seemed like this Malik Rel guy. The the point that Durker was trying to get across to Coltane was, you know, this guy is actually like like Hyphus Pornqual is not as in control of this as his advisor like it's like he's like grima worm tongue to theoden exactly thing, totally right? okay. totally so so duiker doesn't like this malagrel guy no malagrel gets gets kicked out of the meeting by bolt who's just like you're not even like a part of this like get out of here you know like and, <laughs> yeah. but as he but when he kicks him out duiker's like actually that guy is kind of in a lot of control um but what i'm what i'm asking though is like and i know what is going to happen with the rest of this book but i just want to like clarify this because it's kind of silly and i I just want to like make sure is the mission that is being given to Coltane, who is now the fist of the seventh army. He's very high, high ranking. Uh, they're telling him that he has to travel 
400 leagues, <laughs> which is, I did the math, apparently it's 1,200 miles, which is the distance from like, What I is one league? Is it seven miles, right? I think a league is three miles. Yeah, I remember looking it up for when I read 20,000 leagues under the sea. But I forget now. Yeah, a league is a league is three miles. Three, so, okay. At least so. So yeah, twelve hundred miles, four hundred leagues. Uh, am I right about that? Yeah, okay, league is three times miles. Three, yeah, be 12, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, twelve, hundred <laughs> miles. Yeah, one thousand two hundred miles, which is a long way. Yeah, that's like going from like Las Vegas to Portland, or like I don't know if you've made that drive. If you've ever, I'm using that specific drive too because they have to do it through the desert. And I don't know if you've ever driven from Vegas to Portland, Oregon, but that drive is the worst drive in the country, and that's driving too. So I can't imagine like walking through it. But anyway, the the mission that they're giving to Coltane with lots and lots of people, it's not just Coltane like a few guys. Like he's right. got to take an entire army and like all the hangers on and like and like these kinds of armies. They're not just the people that are in the army. They're they're everything that comes with it. There's a baggage train, and there's a rebellion going on too. So they're they're not going to be able to get through this <laughs> with no issues at all. So, the, but but the whole reason for telling him to do this is because they want to inspect the army. Like, come on, like that what the is hell is that ludicrous? And it's also coming hot off the heels of the fact that like. Wormwall didn't even go himself to recognize Coltanes. Like it would have been a lot easier. Malik Rell, this like, totally like unknown. <laughs> yeah, right. Would have been a lot easier. Um, he sent this like unknown person. So it was like, you're not important enough for me, you wicked nobody, um, for me to even attend to and you know see you when you're arriving. And I'm gonna send my second, who is really actually like kind of controlling me, but nobody needs to know that. And then you're gonna your first order of operation is like, well, and let's not forget the seven cities is a land on the cusp of rebellion. Like there's like days away, days away. Like this uh, snow globe is like teetering on the edge of like the countertop, just getting ready to fall and shatter. Like there's like um, symbols that are like the local uh, people's like they'll put symbols up on the walls that are like obviously talking about like rebellion and the signs of rebellion are many and abundant all about them. And so he orders Coltane to take the entire seventh, which is like one of the oldest and like most distinguished Malazan like armies uh, and all their baggage train Everybody, I don't know how many people we're talking here, but 1,200 miles. I think that's even through a desert. Like, I think they they have to cross a no, desert. I, I mentioned that. I mentioned that. that. That's why I talked about the Vegas to Portland drive, which is like... Ah, you, know, you were doing that for specifically the desert. Got yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. But yeah, obviously, it's ridiculous. Obviously, it's an insult. And I think that it was pretty cool that the first thing Coltane does is like, get out, get out. He just I think kicks Bolt him right kicks out of him that. Out. Yeah, but I think Bolt, Bolt kicks him out. Yeah, because I think that there's like a part where Duiker is basically like, he said something like, I'm, I'm, that guy sketches me out, you know, or no, it wasn't Duiker, it was Sormo. It was, it was, um, it was like that warlock, that, that like child that's also like a hundred year old Wiccan warlock. Oh, you're whatever. right, you're right. It was that guy, that guy was like, he was like, that guy, Malik is sketchy. And then Coltane was like, I don't care. And I'm it, like, as long as they do what I tell them, I don't care or whatever, which I thought was like a pretty big power move, but also like, Maybe you should care a little bit. I don't know. I've never been a, a high fist of a, an army or, or a fist of an army before. I do want to move on to another thing here because we have so much to cover with this and we're still not going to get to everything, obviously. Definitely not. What is going on with Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus after Kalam leaves the party? So just for everybody that's uh, kind of curious like what, what I'm talking about here, Kalam, when he gets this book, decides he's going to leave by himself. Which Fiddler and Kalam kind of disagree about, like, 
this situation, but this is what happens anyway. Kalam bails. Oh, he doesn't bail, but he Kalam he goes off bails. on his own. He, he kind of bails, but he also he goes off on his own. He's very like uh, single minded about this situation, uh, and he's got like a plan that does not involve Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus. Where are Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus going? Like, what is their? I know that they're going to like that city that they end up at at the end of this book, but. Are they still trying to kill the Empress in their own way? Yeah, or, so I think is, they're playing. Is that why is, Crocus is so upset? Sorry. Like, is that no, why? No, you're good. Crocus seems really uncomfortable with what's going on. So well, I. I mean, <laughs> I think honest. Crocus is like fully, well, like the entire last book, Crocus was like used, right? He was used by Opon. Yeah. He's very much like anti that now, clearly, but like I'm in charge of my own destiny. What does he do? Like the last scene of the last book throws Opon's coin, I think wisely, into the ocean is like, I'm my own man. And then he's like, cool. It's like this three of us, we're all good guys. We're setting off to help uh, young Absalar here, who's like, maybe he's kind of has a little thing for, her. I don't know. I'm kind of getting those yeah. rumblings. Yeah. Or at least his his heart is ready for some loving for sure, and so he's like the good thing to do. Let's set off and take sorry now Absalar home, and then like halfway there, he's like, wait, 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 what? What is the other plan? <laughs> Why are we here? doing all this other stuff? Like, like, oh, what's going we're on? actually gonna try to kill Empress Lassine, and he's like, <laughs> wait, what? And then Kalam bails. And Crocus is like, okay, well, if we are, like, I'm cool with killing Lassine too. She seems she was just trying to wait, take out my city. You know, I'm cool with her being removed. But like, he's the only person that in our troop here that has a chance. And then sure. uh, Fiddler's like, well, is he the only person? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're trying to like reawaken Absalar's like rope <laughs> powers because she was possessed. We're going to like use those for our own. He's like, this just seems like we were setting off to take her home. Something really nice. And like only a gentleman would a true gentleman would do that. And now we're going to like maybe use her like repressed assassin powers to kill Empress Lassine. And she's like, yeah, no, I could totally do it. And he's like, yeah, that's not the point. Like, <laughs> So I think he's just a little bit upset with the whole situation. <laughs> okay. So, so they're, they're also trying to kill Lassine though. Right, or I guess Fiddler is. Fiddler and, definitely and, and is. And Absalar is pretty cool with it. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> like, pretty like, okay, fine. So that kind of leads me into another conversation that I think is extremely necessary. Just how down she is. Well, there's, I mean, there's a reason. <laughs> Absalar's so easygoing. So we find out in this book that Absalar is the rope. Also, Kellenved the old emperor man that was the big reveal so i think in the episode before this i had asked about that because i think that some lingering thing in my head was like i wasn't trying to be like coy with my audience or anything i just like <laughs> remembered that there was like something else about i had totally forgotten you that. know and i was like it was like it was like the dancer is it kellenved like it was like a, i remember like there was like something weird with the ascendants where like they could be and this answers my question very thoroughly because the rope cotillion is kellenved and Shadow Throne is Dancer. Shadow Throne is Dancer, is that, yeah. Is that correct? Yes. If I'm wrong about that, uh, sorry, Either everybody. that is the just, other way around, but yeah. Sorry, just those correct two us in the Discord if I'm wrong about that. That is really interesting. Really interesting. The narrative here is that Lassine killed the old emperor that is not that doesn't seem to be actually what they escaped no, but i think she was trying to sure sure but yeah. that's not but it's important to note that she didn't No, like that that's very important and it um and it's it also i had asked in the previous episode what was the point of possessing absalar sorry right and that right. answers that question too it's like they totally. were trying to kill lacine with absalar with yep. sorry so that that really like it all kind of like clunked into place in my head you know even though 
it's still really weird. You know what I mean? It's still, uh, I, I, honestly, I've never been an ascendant god or anything. Neither have I. Hell bent on killing Pretty an close. empress that tried to kill me. But I will say, it would. it's a little weird to possess a 15-year-old girl in a continent com- on a completely different part of the planet to eventually like get into the bridge burners and then get into a position where she could kill like that seems like a pretty weird plan that's some foresight right there i mean i guess that's kind of the the mark of ascendancy right they're seeing beyond what us what us pithy little mortals 5d chess yeah yeah well isn't it interesting also that like as soon as now they've backed off right so they're not possessing her anymore and it still kind of seems that her path is going to lead her to being the killer of Lacine, right? That's still being a thing that, like, she's now kind of choosing to do it. Because I, I think she's still having like memories. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, there's still like I don't think she she's not being possessed anymore, but there's still like some some like Kellenved like rattling around in her brain. Totally, and yeah, she has the skills. Yeah, she like remembers a, a private conversation that she had with Lacine, which is when Fiddler is just like, "Wait a minute, what the right, hell?" That's how they end up piecing the pieces together. Yeah, right. right yeah, right. exactly. It, that blew me away. No, dude, that's it's I, like, awesome. Totally I think that's. I think that's freaking fantastic. Before we move on from from that, I I don't know. Maybe this is like a red herring in my mind here, but I I feel like that tells us a little bit about ascendancy, right? Because we've had a lot of questions in the past episodes about like what is ascendancy, what does it mean to be an ascendant, how do you become one, and what we've learned definitely is there's like multiple paths to ascendancy. But there was two interesting ascendancy things that we learned here. One is that. Kellenved and Dancer used Ascendancy to escape Lassine somehow. So I guess they like by creating the Warren of Shadow, because like the cards appeared of Shadow Throne, right? Right yeah. after um, they, they do that. I don't know. Like, what does that mean exactly to like ascend into yeah. the Warren and then they got away? That seems kind of confusing. Did they know that me. was an option? Did somebody else tell them that I was an option guess. or something? Or And like yeah, they must have been super powerful beforehand, like magically, right? But if you're uh, that powerful, then how could like a like I don't understand like right. what's up with Lacine? Right, like, right. Is she like, how freaking powerful? powerful? Is she? Yeah. And if she is, how come she hasn't ascended? Totally. Like, and why? If they they had the choice to ascend before, why didn't they? Like, what's the? I really hope we figure out some more of that. Me too. Because um, you know, we're not going to. I mean, are there like prequel books to this series or something? I don't that'd know. Be cool. There's um. Remember when Kalam has? Or, no, excuse me. Fiddler saves the two women in the alleyway right and then he yeah. meets some some like spirit the man, spirit, the walker. spirit walker yeah. yeah who then like gives him the conch shell and he says something about like this might help you on the path. <laughs> sorry i just want to break real quick uh, if nobody's ever read these books and you're coming out on this episode for some reason <laughs> it gives him the conch shell. <laughs> he gives him the conch shell right which is something i have no idea sorry i completely ruined what you were saying no, no, i just thought it was fine. like really just like to be a fly on the wall and not know what we're talking about it's just like are these guys making Holy all this up <laughs> it does kind of sound like that but like i don't know he like alludes somehow that like you there might be a pathway and ascendancy for you too and then like for the bridge burners for the bridge not even burners, just for yeah. fiddler so like, do you get that at all no but i know what happened i know what I they said i can i can uh, i can clear up what this tano spirit walker said essentially they were like i can sing like apparently like their power for creating paths of ascendancy comes from like singing so what i'm thinking is maybe you need a tano spirit walker to ascend Okay, and he's like this kind of like legendary person. So maybe, and he had already met with Dujek One Arm, which makes me think that maybe at some point he had met with Emperor Kellenved. Uh, oh. So what I'm thinking is maybe this Spirit Walker, this particular person that gave Fiddler the the Conch Shell, is some sort of like 
I don't even want to necessarily say like ascendant maker. Maybe like a like some kind of like interlocutor, like the yeah. key maker in the Matrix. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't know what. I don't even know what happened in the Matrix. Dude, me neither. Yeah, that's that's kind of what happened there. I mean, like it's it's interesting that you bring him up because I actually had a uh, a notice that that leads to a question okay. with regard to to Fiddler meeting this Tano Spirit Walker through these circumstances. And another thing we should talk about soon, uh, uh, Kalam getting this this incredibly important book by this by just by meeting up with this person uh, who had known this other person. We're going to talk about that in a, in a little bit. What I'm asking though is some these these two meetings, Fiddler and this Spirit Walker and Kalam and uh, Mebra seem extremely fortuitous. Like they seem, it's like really Very weird. Like, like, yeah, it's like really weird that both of these meetings happen so quickly uh, apart. Um, Erickson doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would just like toss weird happenstance shit in here right. to this degree. Like, what I'm asking is, like, is there is there something else kind of like at play here other than the ascendance? Where is there like is like fate or destiny or like is there some kind of like weird? universal gobbledygook kind of like stuff that's going on here like that that we should know about or that we should think about or is this just is this really just total coincidence because i mean like fiddler just happened like this whole city was like a, a like not the whole city but like there was a lot of stuff going on totally totally i think kalam specifically was a happenstance but i think like the guy uh, the spy whose name started with an m who was given the book by 10a something the 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 sergeant 10a baralta 10a yeah. baralta gives um the spy whose name starts Mebra. with an m mebra mebra thank you the book and it's basically i think is like okay give this to someone who can lead us to shayik so that's like he's like a plant and then i think it just so happens that the mebra was like an old contact of kalam's that kalam gets met with him then mebra's like okay shooting from the cuff here kalam could do that i know he's a native of the land he can lead uh tene baralta and his red blade troop to shaikh so they can kill him i think that was more like a happenstance thing but i think the rest was pretty pretty well orchestrated by tene baralta i think just kalam specifically was kind of the okay, like okay, happenstance yeah. there you know do you okay. do you know where tene baralta got the book no actually yeah no um, nor, nor do i Maybe from the Malazan catacombs or something like they're they're equivalent of like the Vatican. I know, yeah, like the red the red blades or red swords or whatever they're called are, are pretty fanatical and like extremely loyal to Malazan Empire to the point of problem. Like anyone who's like super fanatical, like there's like a level. It's like wow, cool to be. It's cool to be passionate, but they're like there's definitely always a level that's like too much, and they're way past the too much level of. I mean, why not just destroy the book? Right. Like, it seems maybe there's another book, like just in case a copy was made. Like maybe this Shaikh okay, is going to be a person yeah. who causes trouble, like regardless, you know. But like apparently not. If one crossbow bolt to the head, she's done for. Well, I don't know if she's done for though. She said she'd be renewed. So, so that's I don't my know question. What do you think? Yeah. Obviously, we don't know. But what do you think is going to happen with that? Do you think there's going to be like a replacement? Do you think? I don't know. Do I think? just want to read. We'll just have to read and find okay, out. I, okay, I honestly okay. have no idea. Let's talk uh, Felicin, Auditorial Island. Kind of cool that we got to see a little bit of the manufacturing of this uh, anti-magic dust. You know, I kind of liked that. What did you think about that? Uh, I mean, they're brutal parts of the book, for sure. Brutal. It's it's hard to read about a 15-year-old super traumatized drug addict um, doing the things that she needs to do to get by. Man. It's, it's rough to read, for sure. Um, the setting is really rough to hear about. Um, her 
the only two people that seem to care even like a tiny bit about her. Well, I mean, I guess Bennett in his own way kind of cares about her, but and some f- super messed up getting her addicted to drugs so he can use her for his own gain sort of way, you know? I don't know. Doesn't he kind of tell her? I mean, I'm not trying to like like victim blame or anything, but doesn't he kind of tell her like, hey, you should watch it with that stuff. You're going to get addicted to it. He but, like, does. Obviously, but like, obviously, that yeah. situation, I, anybody would get addicted to anything. And that's it. You know what I mean? Like if I was in a an auditorial slave mine having to use my body as as credit, you know, I'd probably get addicted to drugs, too. Like, I'm totally. Not, like, you'd be looking is, for any escapism to, route. In, for in Beneth's credit to give him <laughs> <laughs> what small amount of credit he did say, like, hey, you should be careful with that stuff. Yeah, but obviously true. she wasn't going to be careful with it. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I didn't think that much of it was, like, that in- interesting, except for, like, interesting is not quite the word, uh, compelling, I should say. Uh, it was It was interesting for sure. But like the the only compelling part of it for me personally was like the when that palace guy is like obviously trying to tell Phyllis in something like there's something and also like the idea that like Heberic seems to be connected with Duiker and like Dujek one arm and Somehow, stuff and, like, yeah huh? like like there's like some more connection there I mean Phyllisin is pretty compelling too but like right now she's kind of just being kind of abused and traumatized and Man, I think the story is rough yeah it's very rough so I think in this particular book. She's mostly just like a pretty difficult character to and read, but really cool. I mean, I, I respect Felison for um, just, I mean, she's just, she's, she's hard. Holding yeah. out, but I mean, holding out like the for one day potential revenge against her own sister. Like it's pretty badass. Like, yeah. It's super really, badass. Really cool. It's rough to have that, like be the only thing that you're like striving oh to live God. for, you know, but oh you got to give her some credit for like strength of like every person, like, like the, she's been broken on like physically mentally like emotionally she's had everything taken from her her family destroyed the good parts the one the thing the one of them that she still thinks is alive has like disowned her and didn't even like spare her a glance as she walked by her like thinking that her sister had a very high likelihood of being like bricked to death on the way to the slaves that she's like what a what a like talk about trauma you know, like she has got it. So the fact that she's like able to even put one foot in front of the other and not just does, you know, jumps in front of a, a rampaging cart in the Otataro mines to end it all is like kind of impressive. So I'm excited to see how I, I don't remember how her storyline progresses and where it goes, though. I do remember uh, it gets a little worse before it gets better. Yeah, Oof. I have like a I have like a pretty distinct memory of the next thing that happens yeah, in this sequence. There's and I a was scene like, burned into my mind. <laughs> it's pretty hard to read. It's one of the hardest scenes I've uh, ever read. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Stephen Erickson doesn't really pull punches in these books. Nope. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. I've seen, he doesn't I've read describe some it graphically, up. but he lets you no, know it's happening. It's happening for yeah. sure, though. Yeah, like that's a good way of putting it. Which is nice, except for things like the chain, because he did describe the that chain one was pretty graphic. graphic. <laughs> yeah, the chain was pretty graphic. Yeah, it was a prologue. We got to make it kind of. We gotta, we gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to rope it, people in. It logged. It prode. Speaking of just absolute bonkers, totally ridiculous scenes that happen. That scene with Sormo, the 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 Wiccan warlord. In the desert outside of Hissar with Duiker, Culp, and Bolt, where they get transported to some weird divers battle that's happening, and like a demon shows up, and like that was one of the craziest things I've ever read. Dude, what the hell Dude, was like the that? whirlwinds happening? And like, what was going? What was what was that? Like, do you know what that was? Like, it, he was like opening. He was trying to like open himself up to like the magic of this oasis but it's, it's like talon 
Warren magic or something like I don't even know what the hell was happening, man. I was like so confused about like and then, like a like a polar bear shows up and it's there's like fire ants and hornets and like a like giant so well those are all divers and soul like, taken fighting yeah. against each other, you know. And then is it um uh, the Aptorian? The Aptorian doesn't show up. It's a different demon, I think. Oh, you're right. It is a different it's demon. It's not huh? the Aptorian demon. But isn't which the Aptorian, I don't even know. The Aptorian gets wounded during that fight, doesn't he? I don't think the I don't think the Aptorian's even there. Is he? I don't I think, think it is. So. Or she. I think it's a, a a lady demon. Uh, I don't know. I uh, and I, could be wrong. I wish I could be a little clearer about this. Uh, I wish that this could be a referential part of the podcast for our <laughs> listeners. I just seriously have no freaking clue what was going on right there. It was really cool to read. It was really cool. Like it was, but like. Did they did they go to a different place and then come back to the oasis? Were they, were they in a Telen Warren where a bunch of other divers were fighting? No, like, I think they were was... there. I don't think they went to a different place. I think they were uh, they were still there. I believe that was really strange. It was very um, strange. I don't know. I I don't really have much more to add other than visually, like in my mind, it was really awesome. Totally. You know? Like anytime we have like a pack of leopards or something, <laughs> like that's pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, the Discord members in the Malazan channel, uh, let us know what you think is going on with that without spoilers or what spoilers, I guess, uh, if we're into book two of uh, volume two here. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know why Sormo was Sormo just like trying to tap into some, he was, they were just trying to like see what was going on. Uh, another thing I should probably point out actually, while I'm talking about this stuff for our readers and stuff, if this wasn't clear to you, uh, all of these divers and soul taken seem to be trying to get to a place. Like there's right. a, they're, they're on a path. They're trying to get to a, a place of, so they can ascend right to the gate of hands. Yeah. They're trying to, they're trying to get to the gate of the gate of hands is what it's called. I think so. Yeah. So the path of hands, I believe is what it's called, which we find out. It, it seems to be in this place where, Pust and Ikarium and Mapo and Servant are hanging out in like this cool, like cliffside giant cavern thing. Right, tower right. thing. And <laughs> the reason I was just talking about all that stuff is so we could kind of move over to uh, Mapo and Ikarium, who I think we should definitely talk about because um, they seem to stumble upon a room or like chamber or something, which they think is the gate that all these divers and soul taken are trying to get to. Totally. So that they can ascend. Oh, okay. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And Sormo, like, I think Sormo really, like, he accidentally conducted a ritual that, like, revealed the convergence of the Soul Taken Divers path of convergence. Yeah. That's the word yeah. that I'm looking convergence. for. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. They figured that out. And then I think that Mapo and Macarium found, like, the gate to it. The destination. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Was it just the beginning of the destination? Like, the gate to the destination? Actually, I don't or is know. it the I think we're going to have to read and find yeah, out. I, think so I have too. no idea. We really got to pay attention to the Mapo and Acarium stuff, yeah. I think, in this book. Like, it's, and I, if I remember correctly, it gets pretty weird. Pretty weird. Like, some of the, um, but I want to talk about Mapo and Acarium just a little bit. Talk about what we know. Okay. So, this, um, I'm going to try to just correct me when I'm, if I'm yeah, wrong totally. about this stuff. So, I'm trying here. It seems like Mapo has been charged with sort of like looking after and like, I guess, like kind of distracting Acarium. Yeah, buddy. For like a while. Like, it's been quite some time. And by that, we probably mean, like, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. Who knows? I yeah, have like no a idea. long, yeah, long no time. Idea. Is Akarium just, like, ridiculously powerful? Well, Akarium's a Jagut, right? And what's He's the, half Jagut. Half Jagut. Half and what's the yeah. only experience that we have with Jagut before? It's like, they're crazy powerful. Yeah, they're really, right? really like powerful. Like, the full-blooded okay. Jagut tyrant that was released in the last one took a lot to take down. So, obviously, I think they're just, like, a OP race. Okay, that's fine. 
Um, so Mapo is a trell. I don't really know what a trell is. Another OP race, but maybe less magic bound. N- not as ma- yeah, okay. more like beefy. Yeah, I get the I get the feeling that Mapo is very big, and Acarium is still kind of big, but like not as big as Mapo. Totally, but both races have under tusks. Interestingly enough, do they really? Yeah, yeah. They mentioned hmm. that, like Mapos were larger or something. Yeah, the tusk they're tusk, tusk buddies. But friends and wander and tusk. So why is Mapo so? sad though like when is it because he like knows what his job is and but he's like friends with Akarium and doesn't want to like does he like I, feel bad that he has to keep lying to this guy is that is that basically totally i'm like, gonna have to keep have it to, like, kind of reined in here or? because i, sure, I think i, I know more right, than yeah. i should but i honestly don't remember that much so this won't be revealing um anything and stop me if i do but from what i think we can put together is that like mapo like you said was charged with Caring over Ikarium, and he it seems to be in Mapo's best interest that Ikarium doesn't remember something about his past and also doesn't find what he's trying to find because he's trying to find answers to something. He seems to be trying to find something. And Mapo's like, nah, nah, nah. Like every time they get kind of close, so they're reading books in this language, uh, Mapo's like, and look over here, shiny, shiny, and kind of leads him off to someplace. You know, he lies to Akarium about being taken over by the soul taken in the Ivers. So like, yeah, that was a crazy scene. I felt bad. Maybe the path of hands will jog something. He, he's trying to prevent something from being jogged in Akarium's memory. And we already, we know from Akarium just like waking up and being like, wait, there's blood on my sword. What happened? That he obviously has like amnesia problems, losing memory. And Mapo doesn't want him to remember something from his past. Damn. I'm excited to find out more about that. It's yeah. Like Mapo and Akarium are, they're like buds, but also it's so sad. Well, that's the thing, right? Is I think that I think why uh, Mapo is sad is that he has grown to love Akarium over the years, probably thousands like, and thousands you of not? years. Yeah, Akarium's cool not? too. He's like cool. he's, he, yeah, yeah, he's like a neat character. Yeah, he's like a nice guy, you know. And Mapo, I think initially he was probably just like, you know, go be friends with that guy, make him, you know, and then make sure to mislead him. I don't really know if the Trell Society put like a time frame on that or if that was like a this is just what you do now forever yeah. sort of thing. But Mapo has been on the job for a long time. So long, in fact, that I think he's kind of been endeared to Akarium and is now like just sad watching his buddy's brain kind of like not be able to remember. And it's obviously causing him great pain, but he's kind of like the reason that Akarium hasn't been able to answer his questions because Mapo has been trying to lead him down the trail of deceit. So obviously there's a lot more that we need to know about that before we can fully paint that picture, but I'm excited to uh, get out the old brush and, and see what, see what is, you know, the only other thing that I would say about Mapo and Akarium is that like, clearly they're a legendary group, right? Like they stopped by Darugistan. They've kind of been like walking companions for a long time. And then the main piece of, evidence that I have for that was the divers who was like, as soon as he learned that it was a car yeah. and Mapo was like, no, 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 I'm good. You guys keep walking. I'm fine. No big deal. And then he just keeps on going around. So clearly they're like legendary in their power. Yeah. Like a mess like one of the, uh, it's like a soul taken like bear. Yeah. Um, seems to be familiar with Mapo. Totally. Uh, so like, yeah, like they've just been kind of doing their thing for a while. Uh, what about, it's Carl Pust. What the hell is up with this guy? What is he like crazy? He seems like it. He's well, Akarium thinks that he that's like for show. Like he's, he's like crazy powerful. He feels the waves of power coming off this guy. Mapo thinks he's entirely lost it. Mapo is like shocked when Akarium takes him up on on his offer to find his broom, right? Because he's like um Pust is like anti-spider 
and he needs his broom to like smash spiders or something, saying that there's yeah, just I being don't know what <laughs> overrun with them. But I think that you know his broom will find his broom in some important area. There's something that leads to some answers or something. I bet you he's more than he seems. Like with I, most I have characters a feeling in he might books. be more than he seems. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think with, like the the default is that yes, they are more than they seem pretty much always. Can you walk me through the scene of Shaikh dying and kind of what happened there? Like who gets her? The lady that was in Tene Baralta, right? Tene Baralta. No, it's not. T- no, it's not Tene Baralta. It's um. But he's leader, uh, right? Les, it's Lestara Yil. Got uh, it's it. It's that okay. lady. It's that lady that was in Ladro Keep with um Kalam. That then killed all the so, people. Yes. So uh, so she she like crossbow bolts Shaikh. Okay. It's her crossbow bolt. I'm pretty sure. The order of events, as far as I'm aware, so like Kalam shows up. And you know he meets um, like Leo Man, and then what's the other guy? What's the other guy's name? Like the big tall guy? Oh, he doesn't give him a name. He's a, and he is Toblakai, and that's enough of that. Oh, and that's okay, all okay, you'll okay, hear okay, of him. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, cool. I love the I love the word Toblakai. What a cool sounding <laughs> yeah, word. That's a really fighting cool with the wooden swords. Mm, best. So like the order of events seems to be that Kalam shows up. Uh, he sees Leo Man and this Toblakai, and and says, and you know he's got the book, and he's like, oh, I'm only going to give it to Shaikh. And then Shaikh's just like, haha, I'm like right here, you know, right, um, so right he, behind you. <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty cool right because kalam was like on the horse and then he gets he gets like accosted from behind by the tobakai yeah. just pulled yeah. lifted off his horse and the other guy's like you think that he did that by magic he i know it. i love that part that <laughs> yeah, was so because so cool. he's just like ah oh, you uh, magic got me again he's like no no that wasn't no, no. magic you're just uh you're getting old man <laughs> you're just uh, getting and, old. and this, this tobakai is so cool i don't think he says he's getting old but anyway <laughs> shake then is like we how about we like protect you or whatever and Colin's like I'm good and then she's like what about a demon to protect you and he's like that <laughs> sounds pretty awesome actually <laughs> I think it's really cool that like this demon is always like in pretty close proximity to Kalam, but they're not really that close. He doesn't want the demon, right? She's like, you'll get him regardless. Um, yeah, I don't know how stoked he is on the demon or not. I can't the remember. Demon's creepy as hell, dude. Three legs yeah, and one, one eye. Yeah, yeah, super creepy. Awesome. Not a good like walking fellow. Um, but yeah, and then after he leaves, Shai gets shot in the neck, and then uh, Leo Man and Toblik and the Toblikai just kind of don't. They just like wait. They're just like, well, I mean, she said she'd be renewed, so I guess we just gotta hang here right. for a little while. I guess we're just chilling, yeah. Um, which you know, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> but there's not really like a whole lot else they could do. We don't really know what yeah. to do, but magic works in wild and mysterious ways. And there was like the word renewal, which was getting thrown around. So maybe something will be renewed out here in the desert. We're just hanging out. What did you think of Kalam noticing that Shaikh and Lassine look he similar? He did, didn't he? Do you think that was like important, or do you think it was just like? Because he's thinking about like he's thinking about like what'll happen if the Malazan Empire like succeed, or if he succeeds in killing Lassine, what would happen? Then if he if he fails, then like what would happen? Yeah, and like really whether or not he I think he kind of wonders whether or not Sheik's like intentions are good. Like, will this be good really? Or will like yes, it's a rebellion that like might be good, but how many more people will die over the course of this? It would just be like a bloodbath. Totally. Like, it's, but it's already on the way too. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's like, gonna it, be without, one. Like, even without him interceding, that a like it would have probably happened. Without I wish him, they would have but... given us a little more lore into like why Shaikh is important in this rebellion. Like, it seems like it's gonna be going forward regardless of whether or not they have the linchpin that she is, or is she I just like know. prophesied as yeah. the leader. You know, I'm not sure. Maybe she'll like 
This is not, I'm, if I'm right about this, it's not because I'm trying to be like, Ooh, I know what's going on. I'm just like, I could just be right. Cause I've got a hazy memory of what's going on. But like, this, is it like a, like a tatter sale kind of thing? Like does Dude, she die and get like reborn or something? I was just going to say, we've got the theme of reborn people, like yeah. never quite making it to the other side, but in, injected into other things. Uh, it seems like we have that theme being, there's precedent for that. So right, I would say back, it's not outside the realm. All right, let's back off that just a little bit so we don't totally. spoil anything. Because I'm pretty, I think I could be kind of right about You're something. Totally like, right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It's gonna ha- if it if it, if people do get spoiled, it's in the next like twenty pages. Totally. So, uh, anyway, um, another thing that I really want to talk about that scene in Ladro Keep was really interesting, where Kalam is kind of like that lady wants to read the deck of dragons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Is it yeah, called the, deck the deck of dragons. Of dragons? Yeah, I okay. think so. Huh? Trying to keep House all my of dragons, House of deck, deck of House of, yeah. House of the deck dragon? of dragons, yeah, yeah. House deck so, of dragons. Like she, that lady like throws the deck at. Yeah, because he calls her out. Yeah, he calls her out because he, he. To be fair, like the rule that he was saying sounded pretty legit, and then she pulls the obsidian to like call him. She first, pulls something that you're not like, supposed that's to pull not supposed in seven to be first cities. or something. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a card you can't pull in seven cities or something like, or it's like not legit in seven cities or something oh, okay. like that. Anyway. Uh, not really that important. She, but she throws this deck at Kalam, and um, he is represented as it's shadow. How shadow? Like how, how shadow? Huh? Like an remember, assassin? He, yeah, it's like him in the middle, surrounded by High House, Death, King, Harold, Mason, Spinner, Knight, and Queen. Got it. Yeah. So all of the uh, which people that out. makes up High House, Death. Yeah. Which super. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine someone throws a card deck at you after you just yeah. like make fun of her for tarot not doing deck. it right? Then it lands deck. with. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Then it lands like a tarot. You know, it lands like with a figure clearly representing you, and then like a perfect circle <laughs> yeah. around it of all like, oh god, I'm being closed in upon. So why did Lestara Yill and her like person that was with her? That's obviously a, a red blade too. Why did they kill everybody there after Kalam left? Like, I get that they're kind of like following. Just love killing. Really though, like, <laughs> no. is that? Because I, I understand that they're they're following Kalam. They they have to keep him alive. It's like that's why they don't just like kill him and everybody else in there. I get it. Was was it because of the conversation that Kalam had with one of those soldiers? Yeah, I think so. I think that it was just like. Well, maybe they're working with Kalam or somebody. We want to take out all the people related to him helping this book being delivered. Totally. And so we just want to like leave a no trail behind us and we want to make sure that we follow yeah. him perfectly. And so we're leaving no uh, T's uncrossed and no I's undotted, I think. So they're like, let's just kill everybody here. Okay. Make sure nobody's working with him. And then we'll follow him to go kill Shaikh. And they're just like fanatical killing Super fanatical killing killing fools. Yeah. It's funny too. Kalam's he's an interesting character, right? Because he's like, okay, so he feels really like drawn because he's a native of the seven cities and like we're Raku, as are the Malazan, um, the the bridge burners, right? Because they were like forged in the Raku desert on a previous campaign. And so he's got like obviously his allegiance with the bridge burners, but then like his allegiance is like kind of sounds like to the seven cities because he feels really drawn to take this book to Shaik starting the rebellion, but he only really wants the rebellion to help like stir the pot. So Lassine will be killed. So the Malazan army can like actually be in charge. Like he, he seems to be on side Mal- on the side of the Malazans at the end of the day, but he's like anti Lassine. So he's like pro yeah. people fighting Malazan, but like at the end of the day, not, it's kind of a really, messy place for his mind his allegiances are a messy place you know yeah i think a, a lot of allegiances seem kind of messy yeah because like the malazan empire like it seems like the bridge burners in particular and actually i should say fiddler maybe quick ben and kalam in particular 
seem really devoted to the old emperor. Um, Holy Kalanved. And then that's actually kind of shown just a tiny bit also in how uh, defensive Absalar is when Crocus is asking about like that massacre that happened in that city that they go to towards the end of this book. Oh, right. Which was rough. Yeah, I mean, but um, Crocus said something like, did Malazan, did the, did the Malazan Empire do this when they were fighting in this area? Like, were they murdering a bunch of civilians? And she was like, no, we fought soldiers, not civilians. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's, and I'm wondering, like, because then Fiddler is like, well, I mean, kind of, but what about, <laughs> right. what we, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's just interesting because it seems like Fiddler even is kind of like, yeah, I mean, like the, the old empire wasn't great either, you know, but right, it's like, well, right. then why do you have to kill the scene? Like, what is, I, even after all this time with the first book and like some pretty revealing conversations that they've still had that I've been able to resonate with, it's still just kind of like, well, why, why are you guys doing this? Like, right. <sighs> I think I friendship, like I think ultimately like the bridge burners are kind of at the heart the of everything, of right? Yeah. And I think that like the only true allegiance that we have so far, at least is like interpersonal, like person to person, people to people, sure. the bridge yeah. burners for I each get, other, you know, yeah. but it, it seems um, kind of interesting and, and we can, it, yeah. Um, it's not it weak. Seems, it's just like, ah, it's, it's a lot of blood. Blood and death for that, <laughs> you know, people dying, man. But there's yeah. a really interesting point uh, that happens uh, right after that. Well, during that same conversation where Fiddler is like kind of a little, maybe, maybe like his feelers are a little bit hurt even because he's like, well, why wouldn't Kellenved um, and Dancer oh, like trust yeah. us? Like, like yeah. if they're, like, you know, they why, didn't have yeah. friends, but they definitely, we were, we were it. If there were friends, if anyone were their friends, we were them, you know? And then uh, Absalar says that he only truly trusted two people. Um, Dancer yeah. did. Kellenved who is counted like the ruler and then Dasim. Do you yeah, remember Dasim? I don't know who that is. Like I, I there's... think in the last book, Quick Ben is referred to as being named Dasim. Isn't that his no, name? It's, it's is it a lot? No, is it he's a lot? Darn. Yeah. I thought I, I had thought a you... nugget, dude. I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, no. Oh, just the he's... D name got me. Oh, no, um, no, darn. No, no, that's I'm glad I brought it up though. Yeah. I'm glad I would have, my whole brain would like, I know something. No one knows. And then like, it's not even kind of true. Yeah. Um, shifting focus just a little bit. I just want to also shout out again, just how like this is a really dark book, Man. just the the subject matter. But there's also some there's like some really funny, like genuinely, like I I cracked a smile, at, like you know, like that Absolutely. part in where Mappo is like, "Where is Zakari?" I'm like, "Where's the library?" And then Iskarl Puss is like, "If you go this many paces left, and then this many paces <laughs> right, and then this many paces left, and then this many paces left, you'll get there." And then Mappo's like, "Okay, so you mean like 19 paces to my right?" And Iskarl's right. just like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, that would be if that's what way you want to do, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, if that's, you know, if you want to not take the scenic route. And it's like uh, the library's the really... kitchen also. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, these, like, really most ancient tomes yeah. of all, like, never seen before by Akarium, and they're, like, yeah. about, like, irrigation. And I feel yeah. like there's some depth there that I just don't have enough information to fully understand, but I did think it was funny it was in the kitchen. And, like, Bolt kind of messing with Duiker, you know? Duiker's just like, I know he's trying to be funny, but I don't get the Wiccan sense of humor. Holy. You know, it's like, this, it's like this long game sense of humor, you know, that they seem to have where, like, Duiker's just kind of uncomfortable, and, like, Bolt is really satisfied with how uncomfortable Duiker is. And, <laughs> like, I just, I really just appreciate so much um, Erickson and, like, like the amount of fun that he seems to have with these characters and these situations and stuff. Cause it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. And I don't think that this, like, I think I mentioned this in one of our earlier episodes, but 
I don't think this series is doom and gloom. I don't think it's it's supposed supposed to be at all. Um, but it is very heavy. Um, so those moments, I I just really, I think they, they just stand out so much. Those kinds of moments, you know, um, like Fiddler and Moby, like the, this, this monkey bat thing seems to really like Fiddler and Fiddler's just like, I don't understand. Like, isn't it supposed to die or something when it's familiar dies or like, why is it still here? You know, it's just, it's funny. And like, do you think there's some deeper going on? I think there's something going on with Moby. Yeah. I think, uh, cause like it's just been talked about too much. Yeah, I wonder if Moby or Absalar or the um not Absalar, what the the Eptorian. I wonder whether or not Moby or the Eptorian will turn into like this book's this series's Oi, you know? Like I feel like we need an Oi. We're gonna need an Oi. And I wonder if it's gonna be like Demon Walker person or Moby the like uh, I always see the guy, the little car- the little guy that runs around with uh Avatar, the last airbender. He's got like a little oh, like Momo? flying Momo. There Momo. we go. Yeah, their yeah. names are even similar. He looks like Momo in my head. Oh, that works actually. Yeah, yeah I pictured like him exactly a lot more like bat-like, but actually, I, I'm I'm down for that. That's... Yeah, he's like a flying lemur. You know, I think as we begin to resolve here, I'm just constantly impressed by the depth, like the history within this, yep. which is like another thing that kind of leads to a lot of the confusion because, like, I don't even know all of the different races that we have going on in modern day land. And then we're dealing with like the Tisti Andy, the Toblakai. there there's um, races that are dead. Thousands of years. Yeah. Dead thousands of years that are still relevant today. So there's a lot to kind of keep all in the head at the same time, but this is such an undertaking and I'm just impressed by its depth. Well, I think that was one of the main points that we're trying to get at least out of this book of this volume is like there's there's a couple different points where characters kind of ruminate on just like how old Seven Cities is and yeah. how many civilizations this this current civilization is built on top of, you know, and just like the thousands and the scores of thousands of years of fighting and bloodshed and wars and just and times of peace, too. And uh, it really, you know, again, um, we've got an anthropologist writing this i think that uh ian esselmont also is an anthropologist but you know and an archaeologist i think oh my Even god and so too. so like the attention to detail really does a lot to kind of like give us a sense of place and not only a sense of place but a sense of time which is really really important for this series like is i think i stressed this in an earlier episode but it's just extremely important to remember the scope of what we're dealing with here because our characters don't stop thinking about it either. It's really right. important to remember that like our characters are extremely aware of how small this period of time is, but how impactful it is to their lives at the same time. It's a really interesting thing to think about, you know, like in the grand scheme of things in the 300,000 years since the Talan and Mass were doing their thing, how many horrible things happened that nobody even knows about or talks about anymore. You know, it's like when it really makes you think like, what's up with all this killing <laughs> like if like, it doesn't even mean anything later you know the series does Damn. such a good job of bringing that home and never letting you forget not only are the characters thinking about it but we get characters who represent the time gap themselves like the jagut tyrant o'toole um who's the talan in mass we get mapo and Akarium kind of being like hinted sure. at it like so long ago we don't even remember how this clock thing works that names each years but we're still using it and then here <laughs> they are still relevant still wandering the lands and so it's like Yes, so much time has passed, so many things have changed, but like some things also haven't, you know. Cool. Um, I was gonna make some predictions, but I think I'd rather not, just because I, I, I feel like I kind of know what's happening, but I kind of don't. So I don't want to land on anything and spoil anything for anybody. I'm gonna say we're that, gonna get a new shike. I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I think um, 
We're I'm just either. really excited to, to to read this book and then move on into kind of like uncharted territory for me personally. Yeah, I dude. Memories of Ice. Uh, but dude, that is not going oh, to Memories impact of Ice is my... so good. Oh, yeah. I've heard it's the best one. It's so good. We've heard all of them. Yeah. They're the best one. With well, the exception no, really, of the Gardens of the I, Moon. <laughs> I've heard that... So from what I've read and what I've heard, this is just me, and I, I just like do this to myself. I don't know why. I don't, I don't mean to do it to everybody listening, but like I've just heard that like... Gardens of the Moon is the is the roughest book to read. Uh, I've heard that Crippled God, the last book, six the landing. It's a totally satisfying ending, so that's Hell really yeah. awesome. That is really good to hear. The, the general consensus in the Malazan community is that, you know, it's it's like with um, Leviathan Falls, like the last Expanse book, where it's like there are a couple things about it that people are kind of like, what, like, why did you do that? But then ultimately, <laughs> like, ultimately, like, it is a really good ending for the series, uh, and so there seems to be like a lot of consistency with these books. That being said, I've heard that book eight is like particularly difficult to get through. Um, I can't remember what it's called. In what way do you know? Like, is it just confusing or is it like, it's like really long and plotting and like just super philosophical and just like really, um, it's just a lot of like, what does all this mean? What, (laughs) what are we doing here? Kind of stuff. And it's, that's just kind of like exhausting after like eight books of this I've heard, but that's just me. Like, I, I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. I remember in book five or six, there's like a seven page conversation between these two characters who are like philosophizing on like sovereignty, like what it is and like what it means. <laughs> and like, it's so spacey. Yeah. It's a really good, like philosophical conversation, but it's totally. like, it's like a whole chapter long. And I just remember like chuckling at the end of it. Like, man, it takes a certain type of reader to like <laughs> enjoy getting through that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do as long as there's, um, you know, divers and giant sea monsters and yeah, polar packs bears of leopards. And, and like I'm, I don't know. I'll, I'll take it as long as all that cool, cool stuff is happening. And this book has cool stuff happening in spades. We still have three more books in this volume of Malazan Book of the Fallen. And uh, man, things just keep getting cooler and cooler. And um, I'm just really enjoying myself so much. Yeah, we're uh, one book and through and 25% of the way, or excuse me, one volume through and 25% through (laughs) of this next volume in. And my excitement level has only increased and I'm only more stoked and more grateful that I'm going, getting to experience this read through with you, Evan, and all of you lovely listeners, of course, cannot expound enough upon the value that having others along for the ride is adding to this experience. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We do have a Discord, and the Discord has many, many channels, but two of the main channels that it also has that uh, pertain very much to this read-through that you're listening to right now are the Malazan BRK channel and the Malazan General, I think is what it's called. Uh, One of the channels is for general Malazan talk. You can spoil tag anything you want um, for all 10 books or even past that if you want to. And people will definitely chime in and talk to you about that stuff if they so choose to risk the spoiler tag. But then the BRK Malazan channel is for where we are currently in our read through. So now we're opening up the BRK Malazan channel for um, book two, which is called Whirlwind of volume two of Malazan. So go check out the discord chat. I have a Patreon. And uh, if you really want to help us out, the Patreon is the place to do it because this takes a long time <laughs> for me yeah. and Chad to do these episodes and read these books and stuff. Yeah, so. that three dollars a month to you is the fuel in our tank. It sometimes. really helps. So yeah, a lot. thank you so much it's, to those who are in there. And man, if you uh, find it within your soul, go go check it out because it really does help Evan and I tremendously. Yeah, even if you're doing it just for the time that me and Chad are doing these books, uh, it would really help a lot because this is a lot of time. But I mean, I would do it for free. But a little money helps too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm gonna go. Uh, 
that, that, that does it for us today, everybody. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hit us up in the Discord if you have anything you'd like to add for book one of volume two of Malazan. And we'll see you next time for Whirlwind, which is book two of volume two. Uh, wow. We are really moving through this. Like a whirlwind. <laughs> like a whirlwind. <laughs> okay, everybody, hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.